five keys to walk in dominion. Five keys to walk in a dominion. As human beings, it doesn't matter who we are, what our background is, we have a built-in desire to walk in dominion. We have a, a built-in desire to have power. If anyone says that that is not so, they're in denial. Everyone has the desire to walk in power and to walk in dominion. And that's because God, from the very beginning, when he created man, he created man in his own image and in his own likeness, and he gave them authority, and he said to him, have dominion. So that desire for dominion is ingrained. It is imparted into the human spirit, amen? Now, however, it is not automatic that you would have dominion. But it is necessary for you to have dominion in order to reign as a king in this life. So I'm going to share with you today five keys by which you can walk in dominion. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So that you can live your life having dominion. When I say dominion, I mean dominion all across the board. I mean, I'm talking about ruling over sickness and disease. I'm talking about ruling over poverty and lack, oppression and depression. I'm talking about having your prayers answered. I'm talking about keeping the devil underneath your feet where he belongs. Amen? Now, these things must not just be promises. They must become our experience. The word of God says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn it because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. The righteousness is of me. What is he saying? No weapon formed against you shall prosper must become your experience. Again, it says in Romans, in all these things, we have tests and trials and situations on every side, all the time. Quite often, there is that evil day that we have to deal with. But the Word of God says, in all of these things, we are what? More than conquerors. That must become our experience. It must not just be a wonderful scripture that we quote. Jesus says, I've given unto you authority and power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Tread upon, not walk alongside, tread upon. Now, that must become our experience. So, as you think about it, all of these, these are all promises. Walking in authority over sickness, disease, and poverty, these are all promises. It is a promise of God that you and I are to rule over sickness and disease. It says the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you, inside of the born-again believer, and quickens your mortal body. What for? To drive out sickness and disease. 2 Timothy 1 verse 10 says Christ in you has brought light and immortality, has brought life, that's the God kind of life, and immortality to light through the gospel, through the reality of Christ in you. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like God is saying, I want you to live in dominion and authority over sickness and disease. Isaiah 33, verse 24, none shall say in that day, none shall say that I am sick. Amen? Righteousness delivers from death. And on and on. These are promises, but these are promises that we need to see fulfilled. God says, I will bless your water, and I will bless your bread, and I will take sicknesses away from the midst of you. Hallelujah. And the number of your days you shall fulfill. What about my, what, 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 what does it not say concerning in the financial arena? You know the grace of the Lord Jesus that even though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Why? That you through his poverty might be made rich. Does it not say that behold I've given you power 
I've given you, um, I've given you the, the, the power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18. I will cause all grace to abound towards you so that you might have all sufficiency, all your needs met. Does it not say that I am the Lord thy God and I want to give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places? Does it not say in Psalms 112 and verse 3 that wealth and riches shall be in his house? Now, I realize that for many of us that may not be our experience. However, that is the word of God. That is the promise of God. That is God's desire for you and I. Question is, what is necessary so that these do not remain just as promises but that they become our experience? And it is to that end that I want to share with you today five keys by which you can have dominion. And then again, what about oppression and depression? Glory to God. It says in Romans chapter 15 verse 13 that the God of all hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you might abound in hope to the power of the Holy Ghost. When you are full of joy and you are full of peace and you are abounding in hope, there is no room left for oppression and depression. It really is that simple. In righteousness you shall be established and be far from oppression because you shall not fear. Even though you don't see, even though, it, 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 even though you, it might not be experiential, yet you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. What am I saying? These things, these things are real, but they need to become your experience. Prayer is being answered. God said he's rich unto all them that call upon his name. The word of God says, call upon me and I'm going to answer you and I'm going to show you great and mighty things that you knew not of. What am I saying? All of these things are saying, oh, how wonderful, how glorious, how precious are the promises of God. But they are for the purpose that we might take, that we might take possession of our inheritance and have dominion. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, so it, it really makes you, it begs you to ask the question, if this is not my experience, then why not? And what is required for it to become my experience? What is required that these promises might be fulfilled? Well, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, where it says all the promises of God in Christ, they are yes and amen. All the promises in, in Christ are yes and amen. By these promises, you can partake of that divine nature. Why are we given these promises? To take a hold of God's divine nature. And God's divine nature is one of dominion. It's one of sufficiency. But why? Why? What is the hindrance? All these promises are yes and amen. Period? No. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. That's the key. In Christ. That is the key. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to be looking very specifically at that, that condition in Christ. Say in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, to walk in the fulfillment of these promises is having dominion, wouldn't you say? It's being the head and not the tail for, to be walking in the fulfillment of these promises. is to be above only and never beneath. Okay. Now, so let's, let, let's go a little bit further. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Because we are talking about having dominion. We are talking about reigning in life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Reigning in life. Having dominion. By what authority are you to have dominion? By what authority are you to reign in life? 
By what authority? Well, let's find out. Romans chapter 5. And reading from verse 17. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, incidentally, this verse of scripture is the foundation scripture for everything that the Lord has assigned me to do as a ministry. This scripture here, this is the foundation. Everything else springs from this in terms of the call and the responsibility and the mission and the assignment. Romans 5 verse 17. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through that one, that's Adam, much more, say much more, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. By what authority are we to reign in this life as kings? The Amplified says, let me read the Amplified. For if because of one man's trespass and lapse or offense, death reign through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. All right. So let's break this down. We're talking about having dominion. It's dominion. But why? By what authority? Well, I'm going to answer it right up front. By the authority of the sacrifice. First it says about, how, about abundance of grace. Abundance of grace. Abundance of God's help. Abundance of God's provision and favor. Do you believe that you can reign and have dominion if the, if the help of God is so abundant? If the provision of God is so abundant? If the favor of God is so profuse in your life? How can you not have dominion? Think about it. And then it says, and the gift of righteousness, that oneness with God, which is to say to be empowered and backed up by the power of the covenant and by God himself. How can you not have dominion? Of course, you will do what? Reign as a king in this life. But it says through Christ Jesus. Because, which means what? Through Christ Jesus, by virtue of what Jesus has done. What has Jesus done? The sacrifice. He went to the cross, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, he ascended, he shed his blood. So by all of this abundance of grace and this gift of righteousness, so that you can reign as a king in this life, it is by virtue of what Jesus did. It is because of the sacrifice. So the sacrifice of Christ is the authority by which you are able to reign as a king. It is the authority by which you are able to have dominion. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The righteousness came because of the sacrifice. Jesus was made to be sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Romans 1 verse 16 and 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, of the sacrifice. It's the power of God. Why? Because therein the righteousness of God is revealed. And grace flows through righteousness. Amen? So then, the grace, the righteousness are both because of the sacrifice. You reign as a king in dominion because of the application of the sacrifice. Not just knowing about it, the application of the sacrifice. Now, if we're going to talk about having dominion, we're going to have to talk about what action we need to take. 
It is not just, it is not enough for us to just have, have, have the knowledge and even the mental understanding as important as that is. Action will be necessary. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. They, have, they are in Christ. The promises are dependent and conditional on this functioning in Christ. Say in Christ. But we also see that what? The authority of it is the sacrifice. Therefore, there's got to be a connection between the authority of the sacrifice and functioning in Christ. Does that make sense? Think about it mathematically. It's got to be. If the sacrifice of Christ is the authority by which you are able to reign and have dominion, and if you can only reign and have dominion and have the promises fulfilled by operating and functioning in Christ, then it means that the sacrifice of Christ must have an inseparable link and connection with you functioning in Christ. Amen? All right, glory to God. Let's take another perspective, can we? We're going to come back and connect up the sacrifice and functioning in Christ. Say, I want to have dominion. Say, I was born to have dominion. I was born to be a king. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 1. It's the truth. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, let's read a few verses. This is another perspective, same objective, another perspective. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, reading from verse 26. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the Trinity, let us make man in our image. Say our image. According to our likeness. Say our likeness. And let them, let them, have dominion. Who is the them? The ones that are in his image and likeness. Does that make sense? All right. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, them who? The ones in his image and in his likeness. To the ones in his image and his likeness, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. The point I'm making here is this. When we look at the very, very beginning, you will see that this dominion was directly connected to them being in God's image and in God's likeness. All right? So, let's begin to unravel this. All right, this we got to do some detective work here. Amen? I'm searching, researching. We got, I got to have dominion. Say, I got to have dominion. I was born to be a king. All right. So, we have some clues here. So, key number one. So, here are the five keys to have dominion. Key number one. God's image. What do you mean God's image? Well, if you go into the, to the Hebrew and all of that, it's talking about God's nature. God's nature. What's God's nature? God is love. God is righteous. God is holy. Now, Adam lost all of that in the fall. 
This nature of God is what we call the glory of God. And when Adam sinned, all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. He was separated from that nature of God and the glory of God that was necessary to have dominion. No wonder we find ourselves running from a dog, right? And scared of a snake. And running away, I mean, and we dare not mess with the lion. Because we were supposed to have dominion, but it required what? Image. Likeness. All right. But guess what? We've been born again. And by virtue of the sacrifice, you and I now have God's image. You have God, little children. What does that mean? You're born of him. You have his DNA. He's given unto you great and precious promises that by these you might be a partake of what? His divine nature. You've got his divine nature. 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know, know what? That you have eternal life, that you have that divine nature. Now it is sad that Paul, that John had to remind the believers that believe in the name of Jesus and to, to tell them, hey look, hey guys, you've got eternal life. In other words, it's as if they had eternal life, but they didn't have that conscious awareness. And that is very much the way, the way it is today. Many believers just do not have that conscious awareness. Their thinking is not permeated with the reality of the fact that God lives on the inside of them and that they have his nature. God so loved the world that he what? Sacrificed his son. Why? So that you might have what? Eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. That's God's nature. So the nature of, and the nature of God, the nature of God, the essence of his being in and of itself is dominion. Love, which is the nature of God, never fails. Righteousness, the kingdom of God is, is, is activated by righteousness. Righteousness delivers. The nature of God in itself is absolute dominion. Key number two, God's likeness. God's character. God's character. His attributes, his mental and his moral qualities, his integrity, his, his, his compassion, him being gracious and merciful and faithful and pure in his thinking and in his behavior, his very character. Well, the moment Adam sinned, man, Adam sure lost character. Adam began to hide. Adam began to blame Eve. Eve began to blame Adam. And I mean, there was a blame game happening. And there was deception taking place. And all kinds of stuff. Does that sound like character? No, he lost it. He lost it. But guess what? You and I that are born again, by virtue of the sacrifice, we now have the character of God. We now have the love of God shed abroad in our heart. You've got the love of God shed abroad in your heart. And that love of God that has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost produces fruits. The fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control. That's character. Are you with me? Hallelujah. And the Scripture says character, those fruits of the Spirit are so powerful and you cannot defeat them that it goes on to say in Galatians 5.23 that against such there is no law. There is nothing that can stop the love of God. The joy of the Lord prevails. The peace of God prevails. 
The character of God is dominion. See, I got God's character in my spirit. Amen. Now, we're going to see some more about that later. And then, so those are two keys. His nature, his character. We still have three more keys to, to unwrap, to discover, right? So, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, and they, and they had sinned, and, and they had eaten from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. They saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. And then verse 8, then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from, say from, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam was hiding from the presence of God. Before the fall took place, God came in the cool of the day and they fellowshiped together. Before the fall, Adam was functioning from the very presence of God. But now he had lost the presence. The losing of the presence of God is the very essence of separation. All have sinned and what comes short. So Adam lost that. So here is the point. Key number three is the very presence of God that Adam should have been functioning from. And the sacrifice of Christ has restored that presence of God to us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Our fellowship is with Jesus. The presence of God lives on the inside of you. If any man does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You are the temple of the living God. You are God's sanctuary. God lives on the inside of you. Say, I got the presence of God. Now, the presence of God, again, that's dominion. That is dominion. That's authority. Psalm 68 verse 1 says, let God arise and what? His enemies be scattered. Let the presence of God show up and his enemies be scattered. The presence of God will destroy the works of the devil. The scripture says in his presence, there is fullness of joy. When you and I are, because we are born again, it says ye are of God. And greater is he where? That is in you. Say, I got the presence of God. Say it. You see, these are things you got to develop your conscious awareness of them. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You are not going to think, you're not going to believe and live and act this way if your thinking is not in line with it. You've got to know you've got the nature. You've got to know you've got his character. You have got to know that you've got the presence of God. So by knowing, then you can begin to develop. And then you will move to the place of experience. Hallelujah. The spirit of the living God that is on the inside of you is the very presence of God. And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 that the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. Freedom. Freedom. Liberty. That's dominion. And then key number four. Genesis chapter 3. Let's do a little bit more detective work here. Genesis chapter 3, reading from verse 22. Then the Lord God said, this is to Adam, Behold, behold, a man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, say life, and eat 
and live forever. Oh, how horrible that would have been. Can you imagine that? If Adam, after he became sin, after he took that sin nature, after all that murder, all that adultery, all of that rape, all of that, um, what, is, what are those things they do? What is that thing? Um, anyway, all that, that, that pedophilia, every horrible thing, every wicked thing that a human being could do, all of that was in his spirit when he, when he, when he sinned. And can you imagine if with all of that there, trying to find expression, he was allowed to eat from that tree of life and live forever in that state where there was no chance of redemption. When you get a, when you get a Hitler, when you get a murderer, when you get a, a, um, a, a serial killer, you can't kill him. You can't get rid of him. Can you imagine what that would be like? Isn't that horrible? So God says, hey, you know, lest he eat from this tree. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove the man out. And he placed a cherubim at the end, at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flame of sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Make sure he doesn't eat of that tree of life. But guess what? For, uh, but so that, that life, that life, that what that life. So Adam was driven out of the garden before he could eat from the tree of life and receive God's eternal life. But you know what? When you are born again, this eternal life is a gift. You have the eternal life of God, the nature of God. You have got this very life. And by virtue of the sacrifice, you and I have this life. Hallelujah. Galatians 2 20 says. Sorry, I'm beginning to, to get hot again. I should stop preaching with a jacket. Just forget it. <laughs> Amen. Maybe. Anyway. Galatians 2.20 says, Because of the sacrifice, you've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer you that live. But it is what? Christ that liveth in you. The life you now live is the life of Christ. Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4, You are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life shall appear. So you have this very life. So key number four is the life, is the very life of God. And I'll tell you something. The scripture says in John chapter 1 verse 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And when that light shines into darkness, darkness couldn't stop it. In other words, then that light, when you put on the light, darkness leaves. What does that say? It says the very life of Christ that is that light. That very life shatters the darkness. That very light is, is dominion over darkness. That life of Christ is dominion. Look at this so far. Every one of these four keys in and of themselves are dominion. And then number five, the believer's authority. The name of Jesus and the position of ascension. By authority of the sacrifice of Christ, the believer has as an inheritance the name of Jesus. Adam never got to that point. He has the name of Jesus. And that name of Jesus gives him dominion. That name of Jesus has, has, has two dimensions. One dimension of that name of Jesus has to do with salvation. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. When Jesus was... Um, um, when the angel spoke to Joseph in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he says that talking to Joseph to, hey, you know, take Mary. It's okay. She will bring forth a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So there is a salvation in that name, but then there is also rulership and dominion in that name. Because the scripture says in Philippians 2 verse 9 and 11, that Jesus, because he was obedient unto death, when God raised him up from the dead, God gave them a most excellent name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things on earth, and of things under the earth. Adam never did have that. Adam had, was supposed to have dominion over the fish and over the birds and over the earth. There was nothing about the heavens. There was nothing about the invisible realm. But you and I got them both. You and I now have the name of Jesus that is authority both in heaven and in earth and under the earth. Glory to God. There is no greater power than there is in the name of Jesus. So the name of Jesus is absolute authority authority and its absolute power over principalities, powers, over the rulers of the darkness of this world, and over spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Hallelujah. So the believer, when he functions in the name of Jesus, now watch this, and that name is ours because of the sacrifice, but also from the place of ascension. You and I have been raised up, and so that positionally in the spirit, you are at the Father's right hand in Jesus. Look at that. We have the authority in the name. We function from that place of ascension. That's dominion. Therein are the five elements or the five keys by which you and I can walk and live in dominion. Amen? And all of them are a direct result of the sacrifice. Now, all five of these keys, so to speak, they harmonize in the person of Christ himself. In Christ himself is the nature of God. In Christ himself is the very character and the fruits of the Spirit. Christ himself is the presence of God. Christ himself is the very life. Christ himself in him is the name, he and his name are one. Christ is the position of ascension. So that's all embodied in the person of Christ himself is like a sum total of all five keys. No wonder 1 John 4 says, 17 says, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. All right. So it is the sacrifice that gives you these five elements, these five keys. It is the sacrifice that gives you dominion. The very sacrifice of Christ. And it is all embodied in him. Now, the reason this is going to matter is, we got to walk out of this saying, okay, Lord, that's good, but what do I do? And one of the things you're going to do, because the sum total of it, is the very person of Christ. John, Jesus said, look, in John chapter 6, 53 to 56, Jesus says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, you be consumed with me. And he says, if you don't, you don't really have my life. You're not functioning in it. So there is going to be a need for us to be consumed with the person of Christ. We're going to have to have a passion, a hunger, a thirst, and a desire. Paul says, look, everything that I've done, all the miracles that I've seen, all the cities that I've brought to the knowledge of you, I counted all but lost, and I just want to know you. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. I want you. And that's what is going to have to drive us. Because that, because they, they, you see, if Jesus can take over your life, 
absolutely take over your life, permeate every part of your being, your thinking, your speaking, all your faculties, your, your actions, your attitudes, everything. And I mean, and you become so permeated with him so that you are functioning from this place of ascension. His nature dominates you. His character dominates you. You walk by the love of God, you, you, and you, you're living out of that presence. That presence so consumes you that that presence of God begins to, you become so filled and overflowing with him that you're begin to manifest his life. You begin to become the very expression of him. His nature, his attitudes. What is going to happen? I know devil ain't going to come anywhere near you. It doesn't matter what it is. If you need to walk and walk on water, you'll walk on water. You will have that man. You will have dominion. Amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. So the sacrifice is what gives you this dominion. The sacrifice of Christ gives you the dominion so that you can reign as a king in this life. And it should be the answer. Why? Think about it. The sacrifice by design was the remedy for the fall. It was the, re the remedy for the fall and the consequences that came from Adam's fall. It was, it, it, uh, the sacrifice was the means to remedy all of that mess and to cause it and for cause it to be possible, for it to be possible that it would be as if sin and the fall never took place. The sacrifice gives you the image of God, gives you the nature, gives you all of it. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That means he was sacrificed. What for? To destroy the works of the devil. To cancel and to remove all and to overcome all of the, the fall and all of its consequences. 1 John 3, 8. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the sacrifice, Paul says, because it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. Why? In other words, this is what has the power to produce salvation, deliverance, wholeness, freedom. All of it is from this sacrifice. The sacrifice is what gives you all of these five keys. It gives you the likeness, the character of God. It gives you the presence. It gives you, it, it, it is such that, you know, here's a verse of scripture. First John 4, 9 says, herein is the love of God manifested. Not only does the love of God manifest it in that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. That's good too, Romans 5 verse 8. But here it is the love of God manifested. Why? That you might live the life that comes through Christ. There is a life of Christ that God says I got for you. And this, Jesus, God didn't just, Jesus didn't just die to get you saved and to get your sins forgiven. That's good. And to get you a plane ticket to heaven. That's good. But God says, here it is a manifestation of my love and why it is I give you my son. So that you can live the life that comes through him. What is the life that comes through Jesus? It's the life of Christ. It's his life, isn't it? It's his life. It's eternal. So that you might live that life. Take that verse and you dissect it some more. It will also be saying this. Herein is the love of God manifested. That Jesus might live his life through you. Think about it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Jesus can come and take us over. And it is just his life. 
He's doing what he wants and he's living his life through us. Man, what would dominion look like? Well, that's all because of the cross. The place of ascension is because of the cross. The sacrifice gives you dominion and it makes the five keys for dominion accessible to you. And it will cause you, not only does it make the five keys accessible to you, as we're going to look at a how-to in a minute, but it will also cause you to become functional and established in these five keys, all right? So, now, how then do we apply, because I am saying that the sacrifice makes these five keys available to you, but I am also saying that by the application of the sacrifice, it will cause you to function in them correctly and become established, anchored in them, all right? So let's, let's deal with it. First of all, in a very general sense. Because what we want to look at is the, the, there's eight elements of the sacrifice, and we want to look at, as, 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 as time allows, the eight elements of the sacrifice and how these eight elements of the sacrifice applied can cause you to be established in the five keys of having dominion. That's what we want to do. All right? Now, when are we talking about the eight elements of the sacrifice? What are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, ascended, and that he shed his blood. We are talking about the fact that when you accept that you were in Christ and that you were crucified with Christ, number one, buried with him, resurrected with him, ascended with him, and you were washed by his blood. And because you've accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, then number six, you have the authority in the name of Jesus. And number seven, you have the life of Christ. And then number eight, you have the word and the promises of God. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the eight elements of the sacrifice. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his blood, his name, his life, and his word. All right. Word or promises. All right. Now, so what we're going to do is look at each of these five dominion keys, so to speak. And... Um, and, and, and how do we apply the, 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 the elements of the sacrifice on it? But now, first of all, let me give you this. Here is a general application. Now, catch this. This is very important. This is a general application. It doesn't matter which of the eight elements you're dealing with. This is important. These two things are necessary and are consistent to, to the application of each of the eight. Number one. The power of acknowledgement. You must acknowledge. You got to own it. You got to, if, if we're talking about, if we're talking about the nature, you, you got to acknowledge that I've got that nature. If we're talking about the presence of God, you're going to have to acknowledge. If we're talking that you are ascended with him, you got to acknowledge that I was ascended with him. You've got to acknowledge the truth. Titus 1 verse 1, the last part of that verse says, the acknowledgement of the truth is after godliness. What does that mean? The acknowledgement of the truth is what produces the God kind of life. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So the issue of acknowledgement is significant. Doesn't matter what we're dealing with. Philemon 6 says the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in you in Christ will cause your faith to work and produce, all right? That's the first principle that is, a, that is true across the board. Second principle, you must mix the truth and all the, the, these eight elements and these five keys, you must mix it 
with prayer, fasting, and the word. Now, I know Peter, in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, they said we'll give ourselves to the ministry, the word, and prayer. I'm adding fasting. Because fasting just takes prayer up to a higher level, and it ought to be part of our life. So we are to mix, we are to mix all of these various principles. Prayer, fasting, and the word of God must become part of your life. What do you mean mix it with prayer and fasting and the word? Prayer and fasting of the word is a practical way in which you, by which you do faith. Say do faith. It is faith when you're going to operate in those things. And the scripture says in Hebrews 4 verse 2 that the promises of God and the gospel did not promise them, did not profit them, even though they heard it because they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't mix it with faith. So here God says, hey, look, take, take prayer. Take fasting, take hearing and doing and, and mix the word, and you're going to find yourself operating in faith. All right? And it is of faith that it might be by grace. When God sees faith, he says you got a right to it. It's okay. But, it's, but keep an eye on it. <laughs> All right? Faith is counted for righteousness. Faith is counted for righteousness, meaning that when God... Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. Are we good? Amen. Well, excuse the technology malfunction. My fault. Let's continue. All right. Where were we? Was that? Yes. So faith, it, it says in Romans 4 verse 16, it is a faith but that it might be by grace. So God says, the way, it's, the way it is put is like this. God says, if you believe me and if you trust me, your faith is counted for righteousness. If you believe, then you got a right to it. So when you are in a place of faith, grace has to come to bring fulfillment. Therefore, Romans 4, 16 says, it is a faith that it might be by grace. So that your part and my part is to be in faith. God's part is to bring the grace, bring the provision, bring the anointing, bring whatever is necessary for fulfillment. Amen? All right. So what am I saying? I'm saying that these two basic Principles are important across the board. Number one, you must acknowledge whatever the truth is. And then number two, because that's why it, it, this is how this stuff works. And then number two, mix it with prayer, fasting, and the word. Amen? All right. Now, so now let's apply each of these eight elements 
and see how these eight elements of the sacrifice can cause you to be established in each of the keys. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right, number one. Key number one. Remember what's key number one? God's nature. God's nature created in his image. His image, his nature, the glory. So what, where, what do you do first? Acknowledge. Acknowledge what? I've got the nature of God. I've got God's divine nature. You must acknowledge that. 2 Peter 1 verse 4, you are a partaker of his divine nature. Acknowledge it. I am God's offspring. I am his workmanship. If I'm his offspring, I have his DNA. He is the father of glory. That's because on the inside of me, there is glory. Amen? Jesus says, the glory that the father has given me, I've given them. So, so key number one, God's nature. Now, how, what do we do to, be, to, to function in this nature? be established in his nature, how do we apply the sacrifice of Christ? Well, let's first consider death and burial. According to death and burial, the old nature that you used to walk in, that, 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 that sinful, that, 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 um, that nature that is, that is selfish, that nature died and was buried in Christ. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. That it, says no, you know, it says that you were crucified with Christ, nevertheless you live. That nature died, and you got to recognize that. Romans 6 verse 6 says um, that the old man was crucified so that the body of sin might be destroyed. You've got to acknowledge by death and burial that old nature is dead and it has no rule over me. Now granted, before that old nature left, he had programmed your mind to do certain things. He had programmed your mind to be selfish. He has pro so what you got to do is, be so you got to go change your programming. But that's not because, that's not because you, you still have the old nature. No, you don't. You don't have an old nature and a sin, and a, a, the devil's nature and God's nature. No, that nature died and was buried. But unfortunately, it left some of its, its fingerprints. It's left some of his apparatus. It's left some of the, the, the apparatus it's used to operate through. It left some of its programming. And that is why the scripture will say you need to get your mind renewed. Amen? All right. But that old man has been crucified. Romans 6 verse 3 says, Know ye not, in other words, you need to know this, that as many as were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death, and you were buried with him by baptism. So know this for a fact. That the old nature is gone. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Where it says if any man is in Christ. He's a what? New creation and what? Old things have what? Passed away. Alright. So. That's one element. So by death and burial. That old nature is gone. By resurrection. You now have a new nature. Because it says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. That by that God has got you born again. By the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to a new and a living hope. What's that new and living hope? Jesus Christ in you is the hope. So when you are, so the old man died, buried with Jesus. Bam. He's not coming up back. He's not only died, but we buried him too. Get rid of the body. Gone. And then when Jesus rose up, you were raised up with him. And you were raised up with him and you now, were, you had a new creation life. You got a new nature. Say, I got a new nature by resurrection. Second Thessalonians 2.14 says, God has called you by our gospel, which is the sacrifice, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus. The glory is the nature. The glory is the nature. Hebrews 2 verse 10, Jesus came to bring many sons, 
to glory. So by resurrection, you've got this new nature. By death and burial, old nature gone. And by the blood, by the blood you've been reconciled and you've been brought into righteousness. Romans 5 verse 9 says here, calls it justification. You are one with Jesus. Now if you're one with him, and this is the vine, and you are the branch, and the vine and the branch are one, then guess what? The same sap that is in the vine is in the branch. The nature that is in the vine is in the branch. The DNA that is in the vine is in the branch. Say, I got his DNA. I've got God's nature. Amen? But again, you've got to acknowledge that. If you don't acknowledge it, then you're not going to move to the place where it becomes a working faith within you. And then another element of this nature that you have is the fact that you have the life of Christ. You have the very life of Christ, which is the nature of God. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, This is the testimony that God has given unto us eternal life. And the life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life. Unfortunately, or fortunately, he who does not have the Son does not have life. That's why you must be born again. Because the only way you're going to get a life of Christ, Christ got to come and live on the inside of you. He who has the Son has that life. So you got, but then now, so here we are, we've got the nature of God. We've got this nature. By death and burial, all nature gone. By resurrection, we've got a new nature. By the blood, we've become one with him. And then by the very life of Christ, that nature is imparted to us. So, and that, that's why it would say in Ephesians 4.24, put on a new man who is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the nature. That's the nature of a born-again spirit. But so... Why is it important to acknowledge it? Because you've got to develop in this conscious awareness. This conscious awareness of these things. And in order, whether it be on the nature or whatever else, you've got to develop that consciousness. And that comes by confessing. That comes by meditating. That comes by praying. That comes by fasting. That comes by eating and feeding on the word of God. The word was found and I ate it. And it was a joy and a rejoicing to my soul. The scripture says, awake to righteousness. That means what? Develop that conscious awareness of this oneness of this nature. Amen? All right, key number two, God's character. The, God's character, his likeness. Again, same thing. You must acknowledge I've got God's character. You must acknowledge that, that, um, that God has placed his desires inside of me. A scripture says, listen to the scripture. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, God the Holy Ghost works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. God gives you the desires of your heart. It comes from him. It says in Romans 7 verse 22 that you delight, you delight in the law of God after the inner man. In other words, your spirit man just loves God. And he loves whatever God loves. Your spirit man, full of joy. Your spirit man, he full of forgiveness. Your spirit man has, oh, he has got the very character of God. Now, I know he has to work it out to the outside, but he, that's how it is. Say, I got God's character in my spirit. So, by death and burial, by death and burial, what happened? Here is the character that is not God, is what is called the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are these, lying, stealing, anger, wrath, uncleanness, fornication, this, that, 
All those are, you know, um, um, not taking responsibility. All of these other things. Those are the works of the flesh. But guess what? Oh, no, I better hold off on that. Those are all the works of the flesh. Now, by death and burial, you have become dead to the works of the flesh. Dead to the works of the flesh. Galatians 5.24 says, They that belong to Christ, if you're born again, you belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. I really believe that even the application of that verse of scripture, Galatians 5.24, can deliver you from any kind of addiction and bondage. If you're suffering from some cigarette addiction or some pornographic addiction or some alcohol addiction, just declare day and night, I, am, I belong to Jesus and I have crucified the flesh with his affections and lusts. I am dead to that addiction. That addiction has no authority over me. You talk like that. Believe like that. Man, you're going to wake up one day and bam, that's, that, that, that desire for cigarette or whatever it is will just disappear. Because the word will become flesh on the inside of you. And, and that word, as it moves to faith, God will supply the grace and bring fulfillment. Amen? And it will save you a whole lot of therapy. Amen? But what am I saying? That is why it will say, again, regarding death and burial, putting an end to the works of the flesh, the character that is not God's, it says Romans 6 verse 11. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed, but alive unto God. Reckon I'm dead. I'm dead. This is over. All right, resurrection. By resurrection, you were born again to an inheritance. Part of that inheritance that you were born onto included the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, here are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, character, integrity, mercy, and all this stuff. It's waiting. It was waiting there for you. And when you got born again, you were born again to it. So it's yours. No, you got to develop, but it's yours. What am I saying? The sacrifice gives you these things. And then when you apply the sacrifice, then you begin to function in it. And then as you continue to apply the, the sacrifice, not only do you function in it, but then you become established in it. Amen? Establishing what? The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. Now, Galatians 5.16 puts it this way. It says, walk after the Spirit. Walk after your Spirit and you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk after the Spirit. Well, Everything outside of your spirit is flesh. Simple. <laughs> so if you walk after the spirit, then what happens? Those things in the flesh will not have rule and authority. Walking in is called in Romans 6, 4, the newness of life. All right, key number three, the presence of God. The presence of God. And again, you got to acknowledge it. Say, I got the presence of God. Say, I am God's sanctuary. God lives in here. I am his temple. Amen. You see, the presence of God inside your heart, inside your spirit, that's what distinguishes you as a Christian. It's not because you go to church. It's not because you memorize the Bible. It is the presence of God that is in you. That's what makes you a Christian. Not whether you speak in tongues, and you need to speak in tongues. It's helpful. It's equipment. It's power. But it is the presence of God. So you must acknowledge I have the presence of God. If you do not have the presence of God, Romans 8 verse 9 says, you don't even belong to him. You're not born again. So the presence comes, how, how, how? Number one, the blood. That blood is what makes you pure and holy 
and the blood is what qualifies you to be his temple. The blood is what causes your sins to be removed, remitted totally so that you can enter into the holiest through the blood. So the blood is the doorway into the presence of God. Are you with me? Hebrews 10 verse 18 and 19 and 20. Resurrection. Resurrection is part the presence of God again is part of your inheritance. You're resurrected to it. Number four. Okay, so that's, that's key number three, the presence of God. It, by, by the blood, by resurrection, both of them says, hey, it's yours. And then when you acknowledge it, when you, when you begin to practice and you begin to speak the blood and you line up, then what happens? You begin to function. You begin to function in this reality, this presence, this presence, this presence. And then you become more and more aware. There was a man named something Lawrence. What if, I can't remember something. He used to, he saw, he had a thing for the call. He wrote a book about it, Practicing the Presence of God. Whatever it is, he would constantly remind himself, I'm not alone. God is with me. God is with me. God, and he would talk to God as if he's right there. Well, Lord, I think it's time for us to get going. What do you think? <laughs> right? And he would do that. And you know what he did over a period of time? It developed that conscious awareness. You need to develop that conscious awareness. What happened is fear will disappear. Just by being aware that, hey, he's in me. He's with me. All right. Key number four, the life of God. Again, you must acknowledge Jesus lives on the inside of me. I've got eternal life. Now, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the blood, and the name, listen to it. Death, number one. Burial, number two. Resurrection, number three. Um, ascension, number four. Blood, number five. And the name of Jesus, number six, which we're going to come to. These six are really designed by God to bring you to number seven, the very life of Christ. This is really important. All this death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and even being washed by the blood and having authority in the name of Jesus would not have meaning if you don't have the life of Christ. But all those things were given to you. Old man, dead, buried, crucified, resurrected, seated with him, having authority in his name so that you can now function in the life of Christ, that the life of Christ could be in you, living through you, and you can live the life of Christ that has been given to you as your inheritance. It, all of those six was to bring you to that point. Amen? So, quite frankly, <laughs> those six alone are the very, are, 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 are in themselves, is what gives you that life. Brings you to that life. So, 1 John 4, 9 says again, here is the love of God manifested, that you might live the life of Christ through him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 1, 20, 16, Paul says, when God brought me from my mother's womb, it was for this purpose, that he might reveal his son in me. Amen? Amen. Key number five, the authority of God. Well, again, you must acknowledge. Don't walk around with, with some, don't be terrified by the enemy, but you got to walk around saying that I have the authority of God. That authority is mine because when you acknowledge it, you get built up in it. You have to, and that you got to declare, I have, where does authority come from? The name, ascension, I have the name of Jesus. That name belongs to me. And I function from this place of ascension, which is far above principalities, powers, might, dominion, and every name that is named. 
Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, do it in the name. Do it in the very person of Christ. Do it in his authority. John 20, 31 says, that life of Christ is in the name. John 20, 31. The life of Christ is in that name. The name, the name, the name is the means by which you, are, you have this authority. It comes from that name. Jesus says, all power has been given out to me both in heaven and on earth. Go in my name. That's in the name. And where is it function from? Ascension. Ephesians 2, 6 says that you were raised up together with Christ. And you were made to sit together with him. Where? In heavenly places. Where? Far above principalities, powers, might, dominion, and every name that is named. Amen? So, we are to develop and become proficient in, in, in the authority, in functioning in this oneness, in functioning in this name, in functioning from this ascension, living like you really are the son of God with authority. Romans 10 verse 6 to 8 says, this is how the righteousness of faith speaks. This is how you operate when you're operating in oneness with God. It says, you don't say, Jesus, could you come down? Jesus, could you come up? I have a devil here to deal with. No, it says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. You do the speaking because you've got authority. And you're functioning from ascension. And Hebrews 5 verse 13 and 14 says, Become proficient, efficient, proficient, and skilled in operating in this oneness. Amen? You see, we are not, it is a misapplication when you're going to ask God to do what he's told you to do. Amen? God didn't say he's going to do anything about the devil. He says, in my name, you cast them out. It says, you resist him. Amen? All right. So, all right. So, let's bring this to a conclusion. Let me just give you a few conclusions to all that we've shared. Conclusion number one. And is this. All the promises of God for you to walk in dominion are subject to what? You abiding in Christ. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. They're subject to abiding in Christ. That's, that's number one. But now, the application of the sacrifice causes you to function and be established in Christ. The application of the sacrifice will cause you to function in Christ. Number two. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in you, will bring forth much fruit. Righteousness is that oneness with Christ. The sacrifice of Christ, when you apply it, will cause you to be established in that oneness. And when you are established in that oneness, which is righteousness, no weapon formed against you will prosper, because your righteousness is of him. Number three, the abundance of grace. You receive abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness that will cause you to reign as a king in this life. How? Because of the sacrifice. This dominion of being a king is all because of you applying these eight elements of the sacrifice of Christ. And then here comes grace. Here comes the functioning in this gift of righteousness. And finally, 
finally, finally, the sum of the whole matter is that you've got to become consumed with Christ. Where it's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that liveth in you. Where you become so consumed with him that the person of Christ is what's most. Because you see, look, if Christ is in you and he dominates you, that person of Christ is the most dominant uh, entity, person in all of creation. Christ himself is absolutely dominant. Can you imagine if he consumes your life? Colossians 1 verse 16 says, By him, he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created in heaven, in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, all things were created by him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. What does that mean? It means that everything bows to him. So when you allow, when you do those things, applying the sacrifice and so on, so that you are consumed with the life of Christ, here is the nature, here is the likeness, here is the character, here is the presence, and that very life of Christ is what causes the complete rule and dominion. The scripture says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, the stuff outside your spirit. Be consumed with Christ. Jesus says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have my life. Paul said, regardless of all that has happened, all that I've accomplished, I am pressing for the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God. I want to know him. I want to win Christ. I want to be found in this intimate place and relationship with him. And therefore, Lord, I want to get a hold of that for which God has gotten a hold of me. What? So that I might be so infused with him and he infused with me the reality of this oneness. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. But God has given us tools. He's given us the sacrifice. He's given us these elements. And he says, here are these five keys by which you can have dominion. Apply them. Apply them. Amen. Hallelujah. Now let me just, let's just bow our hearts just before God, just for a quick moment. I want to pray a prayer, but I want to pray a prayer for those that are, we're not talking about regular Christianity here. Every day, no, we're talking, we talking serious here. We're talking about depths of commission and of commitment. We're talking about sanctification, separation. We're talking about a, a reckless abandonment to the person of Christ. Now, if you decide that I want this, there is a grace of God that is available to make these things real. These are, these are wonderful truths, but you need the grace of God to do it. If you decide that, you know what, Lord, See me. I want that. I want that. I want that. I need your help to pay the price. I need the help, but that's what I want. If that's you, lift up your hand before God. He sees it. He sees your heart. You just lift up your hand before God. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the grace of God to come upon you, to visit you, to overtake you, 
to empower you. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you see every hand. You see every heart. You see those that are crying out and saying, Lord, this is what I desire. I want this. I want to know you. I want to be so filled and overflowing with Christ that I become the very manifestation of him wherever I go. So that I become the very fragrance of Christ. I become the expression of him. Father, I'm praying for every single one that is making that decision right now. And I'm asking that you would give them grace. I'm asking that you would place within them a hunger and a thirst for this righteousness, for this oneness. I'm asking, oh, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, that you would give them a supernatural release of power and grace to be diligent in the realm of prayer, to be diligent in the word, to be diligent even in this arena of fasting. Father, that they would press in to the kingdom of God, that they would press in to the person of Christ in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I'm asking that you would grant grace, the grace of sanctification, the grace of hunger, the grace of discipline. In the name of Jesus. The grace of surrender. Where they can give everything to you, Lord God. Lord, you said that if they seek you and they search for you with all of their hearts, they're going to find you. Father God, I'm asking that you will cause transformation. I'm asking that you, would do, you will impart some of these graces to them even right this instant in the name of Jesus. I'm asking that they would have an encounter. I believe they've had an encounter with truth in this very message today, but let them have an encounter with the person of Christ, with the person of the Holy Ghost, with your very presence. Father, grant it in the mighty name of Jesus. And we give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. 